Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is growing bold while parenting with a disability. And our guest is Eliza Hull, a singer-songwriter, mother of three-year-old Isabel, and an advocate for people with disability. In this episode, we'll discover who Eliza is, her struggle with Charcot-Marie tooth disease, and what she discovered about parenting with disability when she fell pregnant over four years ago. Eliza, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Hi, thank you very much for having me. So Eliza, you were diagnosed with Charcot-Marie Tooth at the age of five. Um, Can you explain what that is? Yeah, it's a neurological condition. uh, And so it basically means that the messages um, to my brain aren't connecting. Um, So it's my peripheral nervous system. Um, And so it affects me in the way that I walk. Um, I fall over regularly, Um, I have muscle weakness um, and sensory um, differences as well. Uh, It's it's similar to MS as well, so it's kind of within that family um, of affecting the the neuropaths. So you were diagnosed at five. Did did it come on at five or you just weren't diagnosed? Are you born with it is basically what I'm asking. Yeah, look, I think I think you are born with it. I think that's how it works. Um, and then you show symptoms at, at, at any age. So sometimes people don't show symptoms until they're 60. For me, I started showing symptoms when I was five um, and it was just that I started falling over a lot at school. Uh, and I was then taken to the Royal Children's and had varied diagnoses. So um, started off by saying that I had um, all different um, disabilities and disorders and finally uh, I think it would have been about the age of eight that they diagnosed me with Charcot-Marie tooth. So you mentioned school there briefly what was it like um, growing up with the condition? Um, look I you know I can't really remember those early days of falling over but I think it you know it would have been exceptionally hard to I do kind of remember to certain things of like falling over and, and it being like a really rocky road at my school so it's funny that that those are the kind of memories that I have and, and lots of blood down my knees and oh, you know a lot of pain and uns, uncertainty of what was actually going on I guess when you're a child you know I think within the medical world um, a lot of medical professionals talk about you and not to you. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Mm. Um, but, you know, look, primary school, to be honest, was also really filled with amazing memories and I think that that has a lot to do with my singing and I had a lot of great friends. Um, but then in high school there was a little bit of bullying at high school and I guess that real need of wanting to fit in um, and wanting to fix my disability and make it go away so I really struggled with that in high school and look to be honest even in my early adulthood life it's only really been in the last five or so years that I've kind of realized that you know it's actually society that really fears disability and um, you know it's the kind of the way that we live in this world with all the barriers that we face that makes disability 
a hard thing. It's actually not my disability. It's, you know, it's all the world around me and um, social kind of, yeah, the way that the world deals with disability is, is where I've found it really hard. How did you how did you find the teachers at school? Were they accepting of this, or were they sort of like trying to brush it under the carpet and try to ignore it? Um, look, I think mostly they were really great. I have memories of my teachers. Um, one one particular camp where I was a wheelchair user at the time, um, I just had some operations, and I do remember that they all went on this like quite big walk down to the beach where there was like a huge rocky path um so it was not not accessible for a wheelchair user but I do remember him saying well you know you're not going to stay back you're coming with us and so he carried the wheelchair and carried me um and so (laughs) yeah like those kind of memories where you just you know teachers go beyond their role and make sure that they are including you and then you know I think that was mostly the case there were some times where some teachers made me feel inadequate for not being able to take part in sport, but on the most part, they were pretty great. And you felt really at home, though, obviously singing um, and within music. Um, does Shaikai Murray affect your music career at all? How did, how did that pan out? Um, yeah, look, to be honest, it was a really strange coincidence that I started singing, which was quite young, but started singing at five and started um, developing symptoms of Charcot Marie Tooth. So it was, you know, serendipity, I think. Um, it's enabled me to just be able to express myself and make, you know, make a really great community, make friends um, and forge my career. Um, so it's just been something that has kind of been everything for me and that it's um, something that I can do to express my emotions and my feelings. It's therapeutic and it's also my career. So um it's been challenging at times especially touring internationally and nationally because venues are still not accessible so there's been times Mm. where my band have had to like help me up on stage um but you know I think times are changing and venues are taking more responsibility and creating an accessible venue and um you know festivals are more inclined to you know to ask what your access needs are and so I definitely feel like it's becoming a more inclusive industry, which is great. With the venues that um, aren't accessible and you rock up and your, your band has to assist you, what, what does the venue do? Do they sort of jump in and help out as well? What, how, do they, how do they do that? Uh, like in all fairness, I probably, for, you know, for, as I said before, I haven't really been within the disability community and disability space up, and, you know, up until about five years ago where I've now really started talking about it and so I think the venues to be fair probably didn't even really know and it was something that I kind of hid from them I mean they might they would have known when they saw me walk but it was not something that I would have talked to them about or made something of whereas just recently I did a show and I arrived at the venue and it was a, a like a stage that had been created for the space and she was like, I cannot believe it. Like you're, you're, you know, you're in the disability community now, and you're you're talking about it, and you're advocating for this. And I've just done the thing I would thought I wouldn't do, and I've created a stage you can't get up. So I think you know people are. <laughs> She's like, can we change the stage? Can we do? And I was like, look, you know, like it's a learning experience. Really, it's fine. I can somehow get up there. But yeah, it it makes it harder. It it shouldn't be that way. It should um. 
you know, any performer should feel like that they can get up on the stage. So, um, yeah, hopefully venues are learning from these experiences. Well, people are becoming more and more aware of the, these sort of factors in life. And as you said, you've only really started acknowledging in the last five years or so. Why do you think that change has come about in the last five, maybe even 10 years, that people are a lot more aware of people with disabilities and their needs? Oh, look, I think all like all diversity, you know, across all kind of uh, minority groups, it's kind of this change happening and people are realising that diversity makes an incredible world and a beautiful world and um, I think people are, you know, taking that on. And also I think because of social media and the online world, we're actually in, enabling people with disability to be able to get and speak within the space. And so, you know, we're not being silenced, I guess. People are speaking out. It's it's time for change and people are feeling that. Um but yeah, I I don't know. I also think it's it's something bigger than that. I can't even describe because I really felt that that not only was I ready to talk about it, but I felt like it sounds bizarre, but like everyone was, the world was, the world's ready, and I felt really mm. held within the space. Yeah. So it was a bit of feeling like I was ready, but also everybody else is ready too. Absolutely. And so you're also a, a loving mother to young Isabel. Um, was your condition a factor when trying to fall pregnant? Yeah, look, that's really the, the one of the main reasons that I decided it was really time to talk about my disability. Um, and that's because I felt really strongly that I wasn't represented as a parent with disability anywhere I looked. So any book that you get given or any film or TV show where are parents with disabilities? You just don't don't see them. And so I felt really mm. underrepresented. And also whenever I dealt with medical professionals, they always questioned my ability whether I could parent and whether I should mm. parent because I have a 50% chance of passing my disability on. Mm-hmm. And not only that, mm-hmm. I guess there were, you know, modifications that I would have to make to make sure that my child was going to be safe, like getting her out of the car, Um, you know I can't run after her or um, holding her lifting her all of those things there were you know modifications that I had to make but they're um, you know them questioning my ability to make those decisions really you know it affected me it started to really hurt and then the more that I looked around I realized that there was so much discrimination and um, ableist behavior around parents with disabilities, so much so that children are t- still in Australia taken away from their parents because they have a disability. So I realised that there yeah. was definitely um, conversations to be had and so that led me to make the series that I made on parenting with a disability. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about, it's an audio series with the ABC, they gave you a grant, I've watched a couple of episodes, it's pretty amazing and the challenges that these people have overcome are absolutely incredible too, aren't they? Yeah, so I have, as well as a singing background, I have a media background, I've always loved journalism and so I saw that they, the ABC was looking for a content maker with disability that lived regionally and I live in Castlemaine so it was, I ticked all the boxes and um, at that time I was forging the idea of the parenting series and was going to turn it into a book. But when I saw that opportunity, I ended up applying and, um, yeah, I was the recipient of the Regional Storyteller Scholarship 
Uh, so I was able to make an eight-part audio series that I made with Radio National and then also five articles that I wrote for ABC Life. And um, it was incredible experience because it enabled me to travel all around Australia to interview all different parents with disabilities. Um, and the common thread I found is that every parent was unlike any other family that I'd be, you know, ever been into. They're, you know, we're all the same. And, um, you know, whilst their struggles, they had struggles, it was actually all due to society. So what they dealt with in society, the stares, they got the discrimination, they got the questioning that they got. Um, they all had, you know, ability to parent, but it was the, all the questions that they'd dealt with. Um, so much so that I interviewed two parents that were blind and, yeah, mm. they were questioned as to whether they should even have children or whether they should keep their children. Um, Emma Benison, who's the, the mother that was blind, was worried that her children were going to be taken away from them. Um, but they're incredible parents and their two children are now grown up and in their teenage years. And, yeah, it's, they're an incredible, loving family that have had to make some modifications but are parenting you know, wonderfully. Well, tell us about some of those modifications because those modifications are quite incredible, some of them, especially the ones where how they found out where the kids were. What did they do yeah. for the kids on their shoes? Yeah, so they put, ba <laughs> they put bells on the kids' shoes. So, um, you know, they'd yeah. go out to the backyard, which was an enclosed space, and their, like, hearing abilities heightened. So they would hear the children wherever they moved. And um, it was actually quite funny when I was interviewing them. The daughter was trying to steal a box of cookies from the cupboard <laughs> and trying to creep past her parents. Um, you know, she knew that they couldn't see her, but they instantly, as soon as they heard the box, they said, you know, I can hear, I can hear what you're doing. You're getting the cookies out of the cupboard. <laughs> so I think that that proves, you know, that... We all make modifications in life and, um, yeah, they had to make some and they still do, but they're, they're fantastic parents. I think that's a skill of all the parents to think outside the box and be inventive and, and all that. I mean, what would you tell exactly. um, other people that were considering becoming a parent with a disability? That it's possible, um, you know, that you have to know your own limitations really and that um, – it's up to you as an individual as to whether you would like to be a parent um, and it's not up to other people. It's not up to medical professionals to tell you whether you should or shouldn't have a parent. It's up to whether you would like to have a child um, and that, you know, you can make modifications. Like every parent that I interviewed, all different, there, there are so many, you know, little life hacks that um, they all made um, and also there's so much assistive technology out there now as well. Um, that enables parenting. So if you are a wheelchair user, you can, you know, there's slings that you can use. Mm -hmm. um, there's things, well, there's ways to, you know, bath your baby. And yeah, so there are, it's, you know, it's, it's thinking about it, but it's also, you know, making that step to, to feel empowered to be able to make that choice. Well, you have a three-year-old at home. Is there plans for another one? Yes, there is. <laughs> I'm pregnant right now. Oh, good work. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm due in April. Yeah. So this is um, our second child and, 
it will be our last <laughs> because we always just we always wanted to have just two. So yeah, it's exciting. So um, yeah, look, and it, you know, pregnancy in in itself is is tricky when you have a disability, but um, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. It's tricky, but it's possible. What are the things? Some of the things that you've had to adapt around being a parent with it with a young baby. Um. So, for instance, like in, in, you know, I'm very much in the thick of it right now, preparing for a baby, and so I've just ordered an aqua sling, so that enables me to have a shower with my baby, so that the baby can be on you. And if there, you know, if you did have a fall, or if you did, um, you know, accidentally, you know, anything could happen. So slip, or um, the baby is like completely safe on you, and um. So I just ordered that. There's also a way that you can bath your baby there where you don't have to hold the baby because it's in a little kind of capsule within the bath. So it can't fall and it's mm-hmm. all strapped in. Um, so I ordered that as well. Um, but, you know, also just like thinking ways to do things safely. So, for instance, when I get my baby out of the car, I make sure that I'm in like a seated position and um, can do an mm-hmm. easy transfer into the pram. So I do everything completely safe, safely. And so, yeah, just making sure that that's always at, you know, at the front of my mind of making sure that I'm safe and the baby's safe. It, it goes to that sort of, uh, you touched on earlier, the fact that more often than not, it's society that disables people with disabilities. So I know that as a power chair user, um, it's often, you know, there's stairs that, that stop me from, getting into access into a building not the fact that I can't walk um and your your series does a wonderful job of normalizing disability um is is that sort of what's sort of the next step what's the the big message that um we need is it more um coverage in mainstream what's the next part of that chapter um yeah well I totally agree I base all my thinking um on the social model of disability which is that the world disables us it's not our disability so you know, you could go to a different country and you walk off that plane or, you you know, if you're a wheelchair user, then you, you get off that plane and you can be more disabled in that country than if you get off on another plane somewhere else. So I think that really proves that the world around us is disabling. It's the stairs, it's, you know, all the barriers, like, you know, people that are blind and not being able to, you know, here that have visual cues for the news and all of these things that should be available that's still not available means that people with disability face constant barriers every day. And just recently I created a TV show that's just aired on ABC Me and it's a kids' TV show and it's, a, it's, cool. a, it's about the social model of disability and it's about a boy that has um, dwarfism and he wakes up and for some reason the world around him is just not working and yet we see him and we're like, that is working, the stairs are working because they, you know, look like quite ordinary and quite normal but he keeps saying that things aren't working and uh, he then wakes up the next day and the whole world around him has changed and the stairs move and the floor raises up so he can reach things and his bag moves and the gate opens and the whole world becomes accessible. Brilliant. And 
Mm. That then follows through with his whole, the whole attitudes that he then faces at school from the school kids. And um, I just wanted to show kids that it's the world around us that is disabling that boy. And if those things change, then it'll actually feed into social attitudes. Wow, fantastic. Yes. Now, Eliza, as you know, this podcast is called Grow Bold with Disabilities. We always like to finish up with this one question, and that is, tell us what living a bold life is to you. Okay. I like the word bold, by the way. (laughs) Much better than brave. (laughs) No, I I really like bold. Um, Oh, look, to be honest, I think it really just goes back to being yourself, being authentic, being true to yourself, real. Um, I think it'd be a real shame to end this life and not feel like you were yourself and not feel like you could speak your mind and be true. So being bold is being you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Grow Bowl with Disability. It's brought to you by Ferros Care and best of luck with baby number two in April. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And listeners can find out more about Eliza and her incredible journey in the links provided in today's episode. You can check out her ABC audio um, series and also maybe that new one on ABC Me. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. (laughs) See you later. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.